Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivu Laniente and Raise the Line. I'm really happy to be joined by Arif Nathu, who's the CEO and co-founder of Komodo Health. Komodo provides real-time and longitudinal data on more than 300 million patients in the U.S. to improve decision-making in healthcare. Using Komodo's AI platform, healthcare organizations can analyze data and gain insights to better understand disease burden, predict disease, and optimize patient outcomes. The company completed a $50 million Series C funding round last year with participation from our friends and investors at Felicis Ventures. Prior to starting Komodo Health, he was a leader in McKinsey & Company's healthcare practice with a focus on pharmaceuticals, biotechnology, and devices. And he also earned his MD from Harvard Medical School. Before we get started, I would like to thank Zishan Mohammadi of MBX Capital for his initial introduction to Arif. And I'm glad that Osmosis has been able to interact with him and his, his team as they try improving the healthcare system. So Arif, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Hey, thanks so much Jeff, for having me. So you have a pretty impressive background as, a, as an MD turned consultant, turned healthcare entrepreneur, successful healthcare entrepreneur. Can you tell us in your own words a bit about yourself, what led you to your interest in medicine and then entrepreneurship? Sure. Thanks, Shiv. So I guess as with every story, I have to kind of go back a few years. So we'll, we'll start when I was five years old and at some point in kindergarten, I must have said I wanted to be a neurosurgeon, probably in a series of other things. And no matter how many other things I said, I think my Indian parents did their duty and fulfilled their parental obligation by maybe seizing on that idea and reminding me pretty much for the next 15 years of my life that I was going to be a neurosurgeon. When I entered medical school, you know, doing something outside of residency was actually not very common. One of the things I realized early on was that surgery was not my true passion. I not only had a tendency to, to fall asleep in the middle of it, but I was actually more fascinated by technology and the ability for technology to interplay with medicine. So for, for me, really thinking about how to bring these two passions together, you know, being able to help humanity by addressing some unmet needs and being able to fundamentally disrupt the way that medicine was being practiced through better technology really became the thing that I was passionate about. So that's, you know, how I, I kind of got into it. But since that time, I've been able to do so many incredible things that I really focused on thinking at the systems level, which is, which is what gets me going. So absolutely. And when we had spoken before, uh, I think when we first met, we talked about how you had gotten the idea for Komodo and, and achieved the scale you have right now. But for our audience, like what exactly was the initial spark for starting Komodo Health? And then can you talk about the early years and what was your first offering? Yeah, thanks a lot, Shiv. So it's, so it's interesting. I think with any idea, especially as you move into building a company, it starts with having a, something that motivates you for, for moving that direction for me. I was spending a lot of time working with large enterprise healthcare companies to figure out how to get, you know, get better at doing what they were doing, whether it was a payer trying to better understand the risk of their population and direct better care to their patients or a provider that was trying to structure its business lines the right way, or a life sciences company that was trying to innovate a drug. And, you know, for us, always the, the behaviors that, that we turned to to look at when we looked at data was really contained to whatever the entity had on its own patients. And one of the opportunities always became, well, can we look at what's happening beyond our four walls? Can we see how care is being delivered? Can we see how it's being provided? And so 
For me, there was an observation that the data landscape and the ability to look at patient outcomes more holistically was really on the rise. This is you know, 2014. We're starting to see easier ways for data to be created. But then more importantly, there was a huge digitization of healthcare that was already starting to happen in which we knew so much more data on the patient was going to be generated. And yet... All of these institutions, no matter where you are in, in the healthcare ecosystem, have trouble pulling it all together and have trouble seeing what happens to the patient when they leave the four walls of the institution. Or if you're a pharmaceutical company, have trouble finding those patients for everything from clinical trials to understanding where they are expressing in the system. And so got very fascinated by trying to solve this problem. And, you know, we were in a world where there were some really big legacy providers of data and some really big consultancies and technology companies that would build custom dashboards. And we said, what if we could pull all of this together and create an application experience that took the work out of acquiring data, running some model, you know, creating some Excel document, shooting it over to a business leader. They'll read it once, they'll throw it away. But instead, could we actually rip and replace that with software? So we built an app like a lot of others at that time, ours was called Aperture. And what it did was just track disease burden for any condition. Where are patients showing up? How much disease burden is there? Is it under addressed? Is it addressed appropriately? And then what do the providers and institutions that take care of that disease look like? And so we were able to start mapping all of this out, putting it into an easy to use application, selling it to, to big enterprise. And that's the, the launch of Komodo. And the first few years were all about taking that idea and building and scaling it. Totally. And so, you know, last I saw you in person, I think we were at a healthcare conference, maybe health in Vegas or, and I remember getting a, a tour of all the offerings, the product offerings that you all have now. Do you mind giving our audience a bit of a sense of like how, if they're a healthcare professional or a healthcare administrator, What's like the use case? How would they interact with some of these products? And then also just today when we're recording this, I saw the announcement that you've acquired Mavens. And maybe if you could kind of dovetail your product suite and use cases with, with the acquisition of Mavens, we'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, absolutely, Shiv. So as we think about where are, we start to gain advantage, we took this one product concept, which was built on an underlying patient-level data asset. And we said, really, the opportunity is to, to aggregate healthcare data at scale and to use that to understand bias in the data, to use that to model out the spaces where that bias exists and help us get to that consolidation of, of insights at the patient level. And by doing that, we actually realized that there was so much more that we could do. So if Aperture, for example, models disease burden, expresses it throughout the country, we said, well, there's another opportunity to drive a clinical alert when we see a patient who looks like X. X could be underdiagnosed all the way to X could require, you know, a therapy change. And so the opportunity for us was to say, hey, I can leverage the same underlying data set to drive another technology product that identifies patients. And then we use that as a launching point to say, hey, now I can look at a cohort of patients in real time. I can start joining our data to other data, whether that comes from an app or it's maybe patient reported outcomes, or maybe it's a newer cancer diagnostic and really understand the real world evidence of that patient population. And I can study that through our technology. And so we started to ask a lot of these questions. These questions required new software to be built. We started to build those software. And so what you were seeing, Shiv, and what we were sharing with you last year was the evolution of our company from selling one app and one software application to multiple applications on the same underlying healthcare map. 
which really itself is a collection of comorbidities, costs, and outcomes across the population. It's linkable. It has a lot of depth and a lot of breadth, and it allows us to be able to create these new experiences for users. And so to an example, a very practical example, if you're a pharmaceutical company and you're trying to understand what the patient journey looks like for a given patient with a rare disease, what we can do is we can look at patients who are diagnosed with that disease and then predict the episodes and journeys of that patient through the healthcare system. And that's being used today in everything from predicting and identifying patients for clinical trials, all the way to understanding where patients are that may have a disease that haven't been tested. And so whether you're the life sciences company wanting to offer a companion diagnostic, or you're the provider, or you're the payer who would have to cover that, we're able to kind of trigger those alerts into multiple places through software that allow you to then make a decision on how you're going to address that patient's needs. So that's really where we see the three coming together to service the patient. Yeah, it's pretty impressive the dashboards I had seen at the time. And, you know, one thing we've, we've had a number of people on the Raiseline podcast who, who have talked a lot about the role of data in healthcare moving forward in terms of improving quality, lowering cost, et cetera. People like Dr. Eric Topol, who I know you know, who wrote several books and several articles about AI and medicine. The reason we launched this podcast, Raiseline, is about, you know, how can we leverage COVID as a catalyst for change and into, you know, improving the healthcare system in ways that weren't being adopted fast enough, things like telemedicine, which has come up a number of times on the podcast. So this is a two-part question. Can you tell us how COVID has impacted your work at Komodo Health? And number two is what are some of the kind of the long-term effects you think COVID is going to have on the healthcare system? Both are really important questions. As we have seen, there are a lot of trends that we know were happening, you know, the move or the migration towards telemedicine, the ability for virtualized diagnostics to exist, the ability for home care to exist. But COVID just precipitated a whole bunch of things that were obviated through the fact that in the future, we are never going to be transported to get our healthcare. Healthcare is going to come to us. And we were just seeing that happen faster. Now, you can argue that these were all secular trends that were going to happen and that all we're observing is just the speeding up of those things. You could also argue that there have been many new businesses that have been created because the parameters by which we have to play in a COVID environment are fundamentally different than they were before. And I think there's truth to both. And that's really exciting, both for the consumer, who's going to have a lot more ways to access healthcare, and then as well for kind of enterprise institutions that have to actually catch up to this disruption and figure out how they're going to address it. And so for us as a business, I mean, what we were doing during the pandemic is we were modeling these trends out. We were looking at who wasn't coming in for cancer screening and, and we wrote about it. And we looked at, you know, who was being treated and who wasn't being treated and how were they being treated for, for their diabetes, perhaps differently than they were treated in the past. And I think one of the things that we discovered is that not only did care in the more traditional setting disappear, it wasn't ever fully replaced through telehealth and through a lot of the interventions that we assumed were just going to cover the shortfall. In fact, a lot of care just disappeared. And it disappeared for very pragmatic reasons. People do not have time to schedule and organize a visit. Maybe they don't have access to, to schedule visits. And then as well, many institutions, some of whom are no longer exist and others who exist in a very different capacity changed and forced decision-making differently than you, you had access to before. And so what we saw was all of those things created effectively a massive backlog in our system where people 
may have latent disease where screening is the standard of care. And guess what? You're not getting screened for a year later. In some conditions, that's actually going to increase latent disease that is going to meaningfully result in higher disease burden. People will get certain types of cancers at a later form that will impact their outcomes. In other areas, it's delaying screening for latent disease that may or may not, may not potentially impact their outcomes. And so we're going to see very interesting trends in the next year to say how much is that actually contributed to disease burden? How much did we save by essentially shifting care to virtual, but then how much latent disease has been accelerated? And based on that, it's going to shape policy making decisions very significantly. It's going to shape what providers choose to focus on. It's going to shape what payers choose to reimburse. And so I think what we'll see is a pretty dramatic shift that has that will occur as a result of all of these trends hitting at the same time. Totally. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you've articulated really well. And most people talk about you know, in very general terms about delayed care, but obviously your healthcare map can show exactly where that's happening in a really, really kind of interesting way. You know, we've had a number of guests also who we've asked the question about if they could go back to med school and, and rewrite the curriculum, what would they do to make this next generation of healthcare professionals more equipped for the 10, 15 year healthcare environment that they're going into? People like Vivian Lee, who wrote the book, The Long Fix, and Christopher Chen from Chen Med, who He's probably the most articulate person I've heard talk about the need for value-based medicine versus fee-for-service. We also had your former dean, George Daly uh, of Harvard Med School. I think when you were at Harvard Med, it was probably Jeff Fly or somebody else. Yep. What would you tell George Daly, the dean of Harvard Med, that he needs to incorporate into the Harvard Med curriculum for this next generation of providers, if you could snap your fingers? <laughs> I'll leave the policy making to the med schools, but I will say a couple of things. I, I do think that we have a massive underappreciation for healthcare data as professionals. We don't know how it's generated. We don't know where it lives. We don't know how it transports from one place to another. We talk about all these wonderful concepts like value-based care, and yet we don't understand the data that's actually used to inform value-based contract agreement. And we don't know the biases in it. And we don't know what we're capturing and not capturing. And we assume that our metrics are correct. And we assume that the population we have is representative. And, and that, I feel kind of lack of data consciousness is something that, you know, is not just permeated our professional society, but it's in all aspects of policymaking in healthcare. And so my big push would be to develop a consciousness around healthcare data to, to understand the basic formats in which healthcare data is transacted from EHRs uh, through the EDI transactional systems to, to what your payer may see, to what your apps may see. Because it allows us to ask the question of how do we build the right metrics to, to drive a better and more conscious healthcare system in the future? How do we ensure the diversity of the data that we're using, the representativeness across the population? How do we understand where care is not being deployed well and where it is? And then how do you as a provider, as an insurer, as, as anywhere in the healthcare system, make smarter decisions about what you do? And Personally, I feel like a lack of appreciation around that has given rise to a lot of decisions that are not optimal for populations that continue to perpetuate systematic racism in our in the way that we provide care. And we just have a huge opportunity to, to use data, which is an incredible equalizer, to get better at how we make decisions. Yeah, absolutely. As long as the underlying data set is representative, which again is something that you all are, are working to do. So I know we're coming up in time, so I had two more questions for you. The first is, what advice would you give to people, you know, maybe who 
you know, at five years old said they wanted to be a neurosurgeon and then decided to go into healthcare. What advice would you give them about meeting the challenges of the COVID pandemic and beyond? It's a great question, Shiv. I feel like so much of what this has taught us is, is resilience and has focused all of us on thinking very differently and more innovatively about what we do and how we do it. I think the technological advances in healthcare are so incredible from remote surgery to, to the way we do diagnostics, the way care is delivered. I think physicians have discovered new ways of engaging their patients that they never had before. I feel like content providers like Osmosis, who, who've done a brilliant job at like helping educate our population, have had to, had to evolve ways to get folks to look more digitally to their own education. And I think there's a huge opportunity for us as a society to start thinking about these different modalities by which we learn, by which we deliver care. And so I think anyone who's thinking about a career in healthcare, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20, if you happen to be five years old and listening to this podcast, would probably think very differently about what it would need to be a doctor in the future, think differently about what a healthcare provider actually means. And I would encourage everyone to do the thought experiment around how does our care evolve and change so you can sort of see what does your life look like? What will you be doing for the time that you're delivering care? How will that be delivered? How will you communicate? How will you share? How will you learn? And if you can start thinking about that future now, you will be better equipped to being there when you get to that point. So that's what I would encourage everyone to be thinking about. I, I don't think I thought enough about this when I was younger. Now, having spent so much time working with healthcare data and thinking about how people make business decisions on it, it's opened my eyes to a lot more that I didn't fully appreciate growing up. Totally. And I don't know how many five-year-olds do listen to the Raise Line podcast, but I imagine- New audience, shit, new audience. <laughs> the ones who do are probably well-equipped to be innovators. Actually, you know, my co-founder, Chief Medical Officer Rishi Desai, yeah. graduated high school at 14 and college at 18. So he probably would have been one of those. I'm sure I'm sure a version of Rishi is listening in right now. So I'm excited, <laughs> to, excited to be speaking with them. <laughs> and so- my last question for you is, you know, is there anything else that we didn't ask you about yourself, about Komodo Health, about healthcare in general that you wanted to be able to share with our audience? Well, no, I, I look, I, I think the beautiful thing about medical education and kind of the evolution of it is that it creates a huge opportunity for us to get more conscious about linking between the gaps in our knowledge and what our patients look like and what they say and what they need. And this is where the digital divide can be brought through with really amazing content that's basically filtered through really incredible data. And this is, I, I think I've always long admired kind of the, the story of our, our respective businesses because I believe that there's a huge opportunity to use data to better think about unmet need, both from a provider point of view and from a patient point of view, and then to better direct our education efforts to the things where we need it the most. And so those opportunities become a lot more real for us as we think about practicing in a fully virtual environment, as we kind of get out of the day-to-day -day of just seeing patient after patient, but we start thinking more broadly about what's the composition of my practice, where's the risk, and how do I improve society at a broader level? So it's a great time to be talking about these topics. It's a great time to be exploring them. But Shiv, I really just appreciate the chance to, to share a little bit about Komodo, myself, and I hope your audience walks away with an appreciation for meeting these challenges in the future. Absolutely. I couldn't say better myself. And it reminds me of that quote that's often cited. I think it's Lord Kelvin who said it. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And clearly, you all are trying to measure it so that people 
different people in the stakeholders in the healthcare system can manage it. For us too, in an education perspective, we think behavior change begins with education and knowledge. And that's where a lot of our motivation comes from. So hey, beautifully stated. Absolutely. Thanks, Joe, for having me. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. And with that, I'm Shivivani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise line. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.